Well, here we are at the start of a new week, and there's all kinds of important things that you're going to be needing to do this week, but I want to suggest to you that nothing that you do this week will be any more important than what you're doing right here and right now. What you're doing this morning on this Lord's Day as we have come together to worship God. Worship, that's what we've come to do. What is worship anyway? Well, Joseph Henry Thayer defines worship as literally to kiss the hand. To kiss the hand, what does that mean? You know, when you think about that, you might envision sort of a, a formal affair of some sort. Men and women dressed up in all kinds of elaborate clothing and maybe a receiving line at this reception. And as the men go down the line, they kiss, maybe kiss the lady's hand as they go through this receiving line. That's not the picture of worship. In that situation, there may be a lot of hypocrisy and pretense, in fact. That's not what to kiss the hand means. Thayer goes on to describe the kind of kissing the hand that is worship is like a dog licking his master's hand. Now, that's more like it. That's more the idea. There's no pretense. There's no hypocrisy. When your dog comes up to you and licks your hand, the dog is completely wide open, genuine and sincere. They love their master, and they show it by the way they act when they see their master. And so when Thayer says worship is literally to lick the hand, it is suggesting that picture of a dog licking his master's hand. Thayer goes on to say it means to show reverence, to do homage. For a few minutes this morning, we want to talk about worship, and we want to talk about some of the realities that are associated with worship. What we learn from the Scripture is that the way or manner in which we worship determines whether or not it's going to be acceptable to God. Men have come to think, and it's a very prevalent idea in our world, that God will accept any sincere adoration from men. Anything they choose to offer, as long as it's sincere, will be accepted by God. Their idea is that God has, I even heard it said this way, God has bigger fish to fry than to worry about how we worship Him. Well, I'll tell you, that's absolutely wrong. God does care how we worship Him. And as we'll look to the pages of Scripture this morning, we're going to find out that it does matter how we worship. We want to talk about that in our lesson, but... Before we go further into that, we stop to say thank you for being here. We have a glorious Lord's Day in Middle Tennessee, beautiful outside. It's wonderful to be inside, to join together in this singing and praying and studying. In a few minutes, we're going to observe the Lord's Supper and remember our Lord's death. All of this is a great privilege for us. We're honored to be able to do this. But obviously, the most important aspect of this all is to do reverence, to pay homage to God, to worship Him, to offer Him glory and adoration. We hope that is accomplished. Thank you for being here today to be a part of this. We have visitors with us this morning, as we most often do. We're very glad that you've come our way, and we hope you'll come back every time you have a chance to be here. We're open to any questions you have about what we're doing and what we're teaching here at College View. Thanks for being here this morning. Let's talk about worship and realities related to worship. And as you think about that subject, we might ask, where should we start? Well, let's first start by acknowledging that we need to and ought to be worshiping God. Worship is toward God. In the book of Revelation, the apostle John had been shown amazing things. He, things had been revealed to him. 
And near the end of the book, he is about to bow down and worship the angel that had been, had been the agent through whom these things had been revealed. Notice John, or uh, what's said to John, or about John, by John, in Revelation 22, verse 8, I, John, saw these things and heard them. And when I had heard and seen, I fell down to worship before the feet of the angel which showed me these things. Then saith he unto me, See thou, do it not, for I am thy fellow servant, and of thy brethren the prophets, and of them which keep the sayings of this book, worship God. And so here's John, and, and I think it would almost be a natural thing. This amazing, supernatural revelation had come to him. This angel had been walking him through the, the scenes and all the information that's being provided. And so as these things are wrapping up, he's inclined to worship this angel. And the angel says, don't do it. The angel says, instead, worship God. We've never had such an experience as, as John had, but our instruction is the same as was to him. Our worship is to be directed toward God. In Acts chapter 10, the apostle Peter had been called to the household of Cornelius. A lot of amazing things had happened to get him there. Cornelius had been directed by an angel to call for Peter. Peter himself had received a heavenly vision suggesting that he should go there. When Peter got to the house of Cornelius, it says as Peter was coming in, this is Acts 10, beginning verse 25, as Peter was coming in, Cornelius met him and fell down at his feet and worshipped him. But Peter took him up saying, stand up, I myself also am a man. When you stop to think about it, there was a lot of amazing stuff going on in relationship to this meeting between Peter and Cornelius. But even at that, Peter said, don't worship me, worship God. Worship is uh, to be directed toward God. God is the proper object of our worship. Now, I think all of that goes without saying, but it needs to be emphasized. Now, in, re in relationship to that worship, in regards to that, what do we know? Well, we know that there is such a thing as vain worship. If we were to look up a dictionary definition of the word vain, it would suggest that vain means worthless or good for nothing. Worship can be worthless. Worship can be good for nothing. In fact, that's the very word that Jesus chose to use in Matthew chapter 15. In Matthew chapter 15, beginning verse 8, This people draweth nigh to me with their mouth, and honoreth me with their lips, but their heart is far from me. But in vain they do worship me, teaching for doctrines the commandments of men. Notice, they are worshiping. Jesus said they do worship. But notice, he says, it is in vain. You know, the very simple statement that Jesus makes here ought to send red flags up everywhere. This very day, all across our land, around the globe, but even here in our immediate community, there are all sorts of man-made doctrines that are being followed. Right here in our immediate community, if we were to visit the host, a host of different religious organizations, we would find that they are teaching for doctrines the commandments of men. We know that's so because many of these denominational bodies call conferences and they, have, they hold synods. And, and in the course of all that, they take votes on what they are going to do, what they're going to teach and practice. Well, the very idea of that, if, if it's something that we confer about and then take votes on whether to do this or do that, to say this or say that, that by, by very description is man-made doctrine, right? And so when those people leave their denominational 
conferences and they come home and they began to teach those doctrines. They're, they are literally teaching for doctrines the commandments of men. And Jesus said, when you do that, it renders your worship vain, worthless, good for nothing. I would venture a guess that there's an awful lot of vain worship going on in the world today. I think a lot of people would be shocked uh, at that reality, but Jesus said that it was so. There is such a thing as vain worship. There's also something that we could identify as ignorant worship. Now, this comes from a famous episode on Paul's second missionary journey. In Acts chapter 17, he was in the city of Athens. Now, you have to know historically that the city of Athens was a place given over to pagan worship. And as Paul was in the city of Athens and he saw all the idols and he saw all the pagan idolatry that was going on there, he was moved. It really, it really upset him. He could not ignore it and he had to speak up. It says in Acts 17, verse 16, while Paul waited for them at Athens, his spirit was stirred in him when he saw the city wholly given to idolatry. One of the things we've pointed out about the Apostle Paul, he was, he was stirred, he was upset, but, it, but instead of just kind of keeping, keeping quiet and going his own way, he could not keep quiet. He spoke up. He used it as an opportunity to teach. And so in verse 22, as he had the chance to preach to these people in Athens, his famous sermon on Mars Hill, Paul stood in the midst of the Areopagus and said, Men of Athens, I observe that you are very religious in all respects. For while I was passing through and examining the objects of your worship, I also found an altar with this inscription, To an unknown God. What therefore you worship in ignorance, this I proclaim to you. And so Paul said that they were worshiping in ignorance. It has been suggested to us that they didn't know for sure if they had covered all their bases, basically. They weren't sure that they were worshiping all the gods that ought to be worshipped, and so they erected an idol to an unknown God, just in case one was missed. Well, Paul says, that's the one I want to declare to you, the one you don't know about, the one that you are worshiping in ignorance. To worship in ignorance is not acceptable. The reason we know that is because as Paul concluded that sermon, down in verses 29 and 30 of that same chapter, Paul said, For as much then as we are the offspring of God, we ought not to think that the Godhead is like unto gold or silver or stone, graven by art and man's device. And the times of this ignorance God winked at, winked at, but now commandeth all men everywhere to repent. This ignorant worship, he said, is not an excuse. It's not, it's not allowed. God commands everyone to repent. Ignorance, doing something ignorantly, worshiping without knowing what you're doing, is not a viable excuse. It wasn't in Athens, and it isn't today either. Uh, again, my guess is a lot of people would be surprised to know that. A lot of people think, well, if I didn't know any better, I can't be held accountable for doing better. Yes, you can, and this passage says that you will be. Ignorant worship, worship that is in error because it's done in ignorance, is not excusable. We often stress what's taught in the book of Ephesians in regards to people suggesting that this is all just a, such a confusing subject matter. You know, it just, it's just too hard to know. It's too hard to understand. How are we supposed to know? Because when you read the Bible, we, we end up in confusion. No, that's not true. In Ephesians chapter 3, verse 3, 
Paul says, By revelation he made known unto me the mystery, as I wrote afore in few words, whereby when ye read ye may understand my knowledge in the mystery of Christ. You can read, you can understand. In fact, we're even commanded to do so. Chapter 5, verse 17, Wherefore be not ye unwise, but understanding what the will of the Lord is. Men think it's impossible to really understand the Bible, therefore you're just going to have to let people do whatever comes naturally to them, whatever they want to do, whatever in their ignorance they proceed to do. You just have to allow that. And the answer is no. We're commanded to know what the will of God is. And so, ignorant worship is not excusable. Now, well, the picture we're trying to paint here is worship can be wrong. Most people think any sort of worship is okay. It's not. There are forms of worship that can be wrong. There is something that the New Testament identifies as will worship. And we talk a lot about doing the will of God or what is God's will. What, what should we be doing by the will of God? And that's all right and appropriate, but here the idea of will worship is not the will of God, but man's own will. In Colossians chapter 2, beginning verse 20, Paul says, Wherefore, if you be dead with Christ, um, it, wherefore, if you be dead with Christ from the rudiments of the world, why, as though living in the world, are you subject to ordinances? Touch not, taste not, handle not, which all are to perish with the using, after the commandments and doctrines of men, which things have indeed a show of wisdom in will worship and humility and neglecting of the body, not in any honor to the satisfying the flesh. Notice here he identifies something as will worship. Now they were setting up a number of rules. Notice, again, he talks here about the doctrines of men. And so according to their doctrines, they had set up some rules. Touch not, taste not, handle not. Uh, these are the commandments, the doctrines of men, Paul says. And he says, they may seem good in regards to will worship. Well, it wasn't God's will. It was their own will. Vine says that the will worship here is voluntarily adopted worship. Notice this, voluntarily adopted worship, whether unbidden or forbidden. I thought that was interesting that he used two words. There's two things here that have potential to be wrong if we're just following our own will. One is that we would engage in things that are forbidden. In other words, things that the Bible specifically says don't do, we might do. And I'm here to tell you, there's a lot of, of activity out there in the religious world that people are, where people are literally doing things that the Word of God forbids them to do. So as they pursue their own will rather than the will of God, they're doing forbidden things. But notice the other word that Vine used there. Some of this may just involve things that are unbidden. Not necessarily forbidden, but unbidden. I think a lot of people can grasp the idea we shouldn't do things that are forbidden, but the idea here is we shouldn't do things that are unbidden either. That is, we shouldn't do things that God didn't ask us to do. We shouldn't do things that he didn't authorize us to do. Things unbidden are also wrong. Uh, and it involves when we attempt to do our own will rather than the will of God. In the life of King David, uh, in 2 Samuel in chapter 7, beginning verse 1, it describes there uh, that... David wanted to worship God. He wanted to do something in regards to showing reverence or paying respect or doing homage to God. Now again, most people say, well, that's all good, right? If he wants to do something to honor and glorify God, that's good. Well, the problem was God's will 
was not being done, and he was actually rebuked for that. In 2 Samuel chapter 7, beginning verse 1, David said to Nathan the prophet, See now, I dwell in a house of cedar, but the ark of God dwells inside tent curtains. Then Nathan said to the king, Go do all that's in your heart, for the Lord is with you. Now stop there for a minute. That all sounds real good, doesn't it? David said, It just doesn't seem right to me. Here, I've got this beautiful house over here, and I mean, it is fine. But then, over there, where the Ark of the Covenant is, where people go to worship, that's just, that's just the tabernacle. That's just, a, that's just a tent, basically. It was a very fancy tent, obviously, a very elaborate tent, but it still was a temporary structure, just a tent. He said, it doesn't seem right to me that I'm over here living in this fine house, and God's Ark is over there in that tent. And he says, and so I think I'll build a house for God. And Nathan said, man, that sounds good. He says, do all that's in your heart. The Lord's with you. Yeah, that, that'd be good. You should, you should proceed and go ahead and do that. Keep reading. But it happened that night that the word of the Lord came to Nathan saying, go tell my servant David, thus says the Lord, would you build a house for me to dwell in? Have I ever spoken a word to anyone from the tribes of Israel saying, why have you not built me a house of cedar? You get the idea there? Nathan was sent back to David and said, hold up there just a minute. What you're doing, you're just taking that upon yourself. I never said to do that. Uh, that's, that's your will. That's not my will. And so even King David, a, a man after God's own heart, uh, one of the heroes of the faith in the Old Testament, even King David was rebuked for proceeding to go forward based upon what he thought was good, what he thought should be done. It was will worship. And that's the problem we have in the world today. A lot of people imagine things that are good and then they, they just move forward with it without stopping to seek authority uh, from the Word of God. And so there is vain worship, good for nothing. There's worship offered in ignorance. They haven't taken time to learn to do it right. And then there's will worship where people just proceed to worship according to their own likes and desires. Those are some of the realities about worship out there that people need to understand. But of course, there is true worship. There is worship as it ought to be. From the passage that Matt read for us earlier in John chapter 4, where Jesus was speaking to that Samaritan woman at the well. Notice in John chapter 4, beginning verse 23, The hour cometh and now is when the true worshipers shall worship the Father in spirit and in truth. For the Father seeketh such to worship him. God is a spirit, and they that worship him must worship him in spirit and in truth. Several things to notice in that famous passage. One is, there is such a thing as true worshipers. You see that? Verse 23, the hour cometh now is when true worshipers shall worship the Father in spirit and truth. There's such a thing as true worship. By implication, then, that would argue that there's false worship and false worshipers, wouldn't it? If there are true worshipers, there must be false worshipers. And we've just described some of that in our lesson this morning. So there are true worshipers. And then, of course, verse 24, very famously, one of our memory verses, God is a spirit, and they that worship him must worship him in spirit and truth. Notice the, the emphasis here is on what must be done. Most people think this is all optional, man. It's up to you. What do you like? What do you want? How would you do it? What's your desire? What pleases you? That's not the case. The question is, what pleases God? What must we do in order to be worshiping the way God wants to? And there is a must to worship. There's a, there's a necessity, an obligation. It has to be this way and no other way. That's what the Word of God says. 
And then, of course, we often point out that our worship must be in spirit and in truth. Acceptable worship re requires two necessary things. One is that it must be done in the right spirit. And we acknowledge that. And we, we, would, we would confess that maybe sometimes we don't have the right spirit of worship. Our heart's not in it. We're not doing it sincerely. It's not heartfelt. Uh, we, we're just going through the motions, so to speak. Well, this passage would tell us that that's not acceptable to God. Uh, we might be doing everything right, but if we're not doing it from the heart, if, our, if we're not worshiping Him in spirit, then it's not right. So we really need to emphasize that. Maybe we haven't emphasized it enough that to worship God acceptably, and that's what we want to do. We're just wasting our time otherwise. To worship God acceptably, it has to be in spirit. We need to work on that. It's very crucial. We would ask everyone here this morning, can you say honestly that you're here in the right spirit and that your worship is from the heart? That's what it takes. But notice, it also has to be in truth. And this is just as critical. Uh, our worship has to be according to God's truth. Anything else uh, just won't work. We can't just worship Him any way we please. We can't just worship Him the way we like, what seems good to us. We have to worship Him according to His truth. So, God is a spirit, and they that worship Him must worship Him. Now, the idea of that is, if you're going to do it and have it accepted by Him, you must worship Him in spirit and in truth. Again, worship is the idea of licking the hand uh, or kissing the hand. And it's like a dog licking his master's hand. It is, it, you can just picture a dog so anxious to see his master, so happy, so thrilled, so genuinely excited to have that opportunity to be with his master. That's the right picture of what worship ought to be. And we would just ask you this morning, is that how you approach worship? Is that your attitude when you have these opportunities to be together? Now, just as an obvious thing, if that's how you really feel, then you're going to look forward to every opportunity to do that. Unfortunately, one of the things we constantly struggle with is some who don't seem devoted to worship opportunities. Can you imagine a, a dog who sees his master but doesn't run to meet him, who's not excited, who, 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 who possesses no joy and satisfaction of being with him. You can't really, can you? A dog is anxious to be with his master, licking his hand. We should be anxious to be worshiping God. And the question is, does that describe you? Thanks for your good attention to what we've had to say. We're going to sing a song of invitation, and as we sing this song, we want to ask, especially, first of all, those of us who are already Christians, do you have this heartfelt devotion to God? Are you worshiping in spirit and in truth? Are you glad for a time to come together to worship God? If you admit in your heart that that hasn't really been descriptive of you, that you haven't had that strong devotion, and maybe you've even been neglecting the opportunity to worship God when you can and when you should, if that's just sort of a manifestation of things that are not right in your life. You haven't been right with God. We urge you to come back to Him in repentance, confession, and prayer. If you're not yet a Christian, we hope you'll make that decision without delay. Obey that simple gospel plan of salvation. Hear, believe, repent, confess, be baptized. If we can help you in any way, let us know while we stand and sing this song.